Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. Join us this Sunday at one of our four campuses. Call times are at 9 and 11 a.m. at our Somerville and Remount campuses, 10 a.m. at our North Charleston campus, and 11 a.m. at our Monk's Corner campus. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Larry Burbacher. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit faithishere.org. So glad you came to church this morning and great, great spirit of worship and praise in the house today. God is good, amen? And we've come to see him and we've come to hear from him today. So take your Bibles out and turn to Luke, Luke chapter 14, Luke chapter 14. If you have your outlines, you can look on the back and follow along with us this morning. And we are so glad you're here. If you're a guest, thanks so much for coming. And we're happy you came to join us today and I look forward to meeting you right after the service across the hallway to the back. Now just hold your finger there while I tell you a little story. This story actually ran in the Boston Globe in 1990, in June of 1990. And it was a story of a lady and her fiancé. And they had made this plans for this great big lavish wedding. And so they were planning the reception. They went to the Hyatt Regency in downtown Boston. It was going to be a grand, glorious wedding ceremony. They picked out the very nicest china that would be used, all the floral arrangements they pre-picked out. They picked out the menu and the food and ordered all the food that was going to be served that day. And we're just getting everything ready for that very special wedding celebration, wedding occasion. They put 50% down. Now, they had very expensive taste. In 1990, that reception was going to cost them about $13,000. And so they had to put 50% down up front to hold the venue. And so they got ready to have it. The announcements went out. And about the time the wedding announcements hit the mailboxes throughout their, to all their friends, the man says, you know what, I'm not sure. This whole wedding thing, it's a big commitment, and I don't know if I can really go through with it. Let's think about this just a little bit longer. Well, this lady becomes furious. She can't believe that her uh, fiancé is getting cold feet. And so she's angry, she's furious, she heads right down to the Hyatt Regency right away, and she says, listen, I need to cancel that, uh, that, that reception we were going to have on that date in June because uh, my husband's backing out, my fiancé's backing out, and there's just no way we can do this if you could just kindly give me my money back. And they said at the Hyatt, you know what, I'm sorry, ma'am, the contract says it's non-refundable. We can't do that. We cannot give your money back. We can give you back $1,300, but the rest we're going to have to keep. And so there is no refund available according to the, we feel for you. We feel your pain. We're so sorry you're going through this, but we cannot reimburse your money. You only have two options, forfeit your deposit or go ahead with the banquet anyway. Well, this jilted bride considered her two options. And she herself, 10 years earlier, had found herself at one point in a homeless shelter. And when she was going through a very difficult and rough time in her own life, and she had gotten back on her feet, and she got a good job, and now she had developed a little bit in her savings account, and so she was doing all right and and really was grateful for all that God had done for her. And so she says, I'm going to have a huge banquet and celebration anyway. And so she invited all the down and outers in Boston. And so they went to the homeless shelters. They went to the the rescue missions. They went under the bridges where the homeless were were hanging out. They handed out the invitations. Uh, They sent to the senior citizens' homes. And all around, they sent the invitations to come to this party. And in June, the Hyatt hosted a party like they had never hosted before. 
the hostess in honor of her uh, previous fiance changed the menu, and for their main course, it was going to be boneless chicken. And uh, just in honor of the guy who had cold feet and ran out on her, boneless chicken. And, uh, and so, uh, but these people, these, these guests who were coming that day who had been used to eating uh, half-gnawed pizza crust from dumpsters, now they're going to be treated to a very lavish feast and a lavish celebration. The Hyatt waiters that night were all in tuxedos. They were going around serving the hors d'oeuvres to senior citizens propped up in aluminum uh, walkers, bag ladies, vagrants, and drug addicts. On that one grand night, they, shipped, they, they, they sipped champagne, ate chocolate cake, and danced the night away to big band music. It was quite a gala celebration in Boston on that night for all the homeless of the city of Boston. Now, I want to tell you, that's a contemporary version, a real story of, of what our parable is all about. Stand with me. Let's look together and read this story that, that Christ teaches on, Christ tells his listeners about, and I think you'll see some very, uh, very good similarities right here today. Luke chapter 14 and beginning with verse number 15. And when those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a guest banquet, invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he set his servants to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out in the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will taste of my banquet. Father, today open up the word of God to our heart. We need you, Lord Jesus. We thank you, God, that today there is an incredible banquet feast of your grace that has been spread for us. And I thank you that you have invited us to come in and dine with you. I pray, God, today, if there's anyone in the house who has not yet tasted of that feast this morning, they will enter into your kingdom. They'll understand your grace. They'll find your mercy and your salvation. And we love you, God, and we thank you for your word and open up our hearts this morning, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Turn to someone, tell them they look great, and then you may be seated. For time's sake, I, I did not read the entire chapter, but you, this, this story, this parable is set in context. And the context was Jesus, in the beginning of chapter 15, has been invited to eat a lavish feast at a Pharisee's house. 
And so they all come together, and the who's who of the town are gathered there. It's the red carpet. It's the Oscars, if you will. And they're all there, and they're all gathered around, and they're jockeying for the best seats in the house. And they're all watching this special guest of honor, Jesus Christ, this new rabbi who has been on the scene, who so much talk has been going on about. And they've seen his miracles, and they're watching his life. And and there was somebody in the room who needed healing that day. And they all watched to see if on the Sabbath day he would heal that man. And sure enough, he did it. And he went on to tell them, Jesus Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath. And, and, and they watched his life very closely. And they're, they're wanting to get the very best seats in the house. And Jesus told them that, that if you're going to come into the kingdom, if you're gonna, it's, it's the humble who will find grace. It's the humble who will find mercy, not those who exalt themselves. And so he begins to teach them and tell them these stories. And he teaches on humility. And then he goes on and he begins to tell them the story that I just read to you. So let's take a look at it for just a moment. And what you really have in, the, in chapter 15 is a story within a story. And so we're going to look at this this morning. First of all, I want you to notice the great feast, the banquet feast. Look, if you would, at verse number 15 again, he tells you exactly what he's talking about when he mentions the feast. And when those who come to the table heard him, he said, blesses the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. He's talking about the feast of God's grace, the feast of God's kingdom. Now, I want to tell you, I've got, I've got a problem, and I'm going to confess openly to everybody today, and that's buffets. When I go to a buffet, it is brutal because I, I, I just feel like, first of all, I've got to get my money's worth. Even though it might have been $5.99, I'm going to get as much as I can. I'm going, to, I'm going to take advantage for once in my life of that restaurant, and they're going to beg me to leave. And I eat and I eat and I eat, and then I'm so mad at myself later, and I say, why did you do that? It's just like you can't stop. Now, I'm telling you, I am really pumped about the Wild Game Banquet. I don't know if there's a limit on how many times you go through the line, but the quail is coming my way. The pork is coming my way. Look out. Buffets get me. And so there's a picture here of a, of a banquet feast that has been spread, a very lavish feast, and he tells us it is a picture of God's kingdom. I want to tell you, in God's kingdom, at his banqueting table, there is enough grace to go around. God loves everybody. He invites us all to come, and there's plenty of room in God's banquet table. And, it's a, and, and I think the reason he uses the imagery of a banquet to describe the kingdom of God is, is because it's a life filled with joy and peace in the Lord. Jesus Christ. We think about feasting, we love to eat, uh, but in God's kingdom it is full of God's peace and God's joy and God's mercy and God's grace and the most wonderful, fulfilling life you can ever know is knowing Jesus Christ. He simply invites you to come on in. Uh, You know, a lot of people think if I give my life to Jesus Christ, they think about all the stuff they're going to have to give up. I want to tell you, you don't give up anything when it comes when you gain a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's worth it. It's the great exchange. It's the greatest exchange you will ever make. You exchange your emptiness. You exchange your loneliness. You exchange your condemnation and your fear. And you exchange it for a kingdom of God that is joy unspeakable and full of glory. It's worth it. The most exciting life you can ever know is in God's kingdom. It is the key to everlasting life. He goes on to say this certain man 
set a banquet feast. Who is that certain man in this parable? It is none other than God himself. God himself is that certain man who spread a table, a banqueting table, a lavish table full of his grace. And then it says he sent out the invitations and he invited many guests. Now the invitation, the many guests referred to in the first part of the parable are the Jews themselves. They got a written invitation. They got the Ten Commandments. They got the Old Testament. They had the law and the prophets. And in that invitation, God told the Jews that I'm going to send a Messiah and that Messiah is going to come and make a new covenant with his people and I will forgive their sins and I will write their law on their, on their hearts and on their minds. And he says, I'm, I'm giving the Jewish people a written invitation to come and join and dine with me in my kingdom to eat at my banqueting table. And it never occurred to these Jews that the Gentiles would also find seats at this glorious table. They thought it was a closed affair. They thought it was a closed invitation only for them. But Jesus sends the first invitation to the Jews, and then it would go out to all the Gentiles, and all would be invited to come and eat at his glorious kingdom. The servant that he sends out in verse 17 he says, he goes, sends the servant out, and he says, tell them, my, my banquet is now ready. The servant is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Philippians 2 and 7 that he took upon himself the form of a servant. God the Father sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, and he came to this earth, and he announced the kingdom is ready. The kingdom of God is at hand. It is here. It is even now in your midst. Prepare yourself. Get ready. The kingdom has come. And the servant is Jesus Christ. Now let me give you a little backdrop so you kind of understand what's going on in this story. When, when the dinner host of the banquet would prepare a great big inv- uh, feast for the whole community or whoever he would invite, he would send the invitations out far in advance. And the invitations themselves would announce the day but not the hour of the feast. And, and they would respond with their RSVP, And they would let the host know if they were going to come or not. And based on that, he would prepare a certain amount of food, like we would do, for all the guests who would be coming. And so the the right amount of animals would be slaughtered. The food would all be prepared. Everything would be gotten ready. It would all be done based on those who had RSVP and said they were going to come to the banquet. Then before the banquet would occur, he would send a servant out and he would alert the people who were invited to come. Now is the time. The table is set. Everything is ready. You can come now to the banquet. Go ahead. Come on in. He, it's the word of God says the hour of the feast was about to begin. Now I want to tell you, in this parable, the hour of the feast was about to begin. Jesus Christ himself was about to be crucified. He was about to be beaten for us. He was about to be wounded for us. He would take, take our stripes upon his back and he would hang on a cross for us. The hour of the feast was about to begin because Jesus Christ would soon lay down his life for us. And so the Lord invites us to come and dine with him. 
And in this parable, you've got a wonderful table of God's grace that's been spread, uh, that is ready, and all we need to do is enter on into all of God's provision, all of God's grace, everything that Christ did for us on Calvary. We enter into his sacrifice for us, and we receive God's grace. Isn't the kingdom of God awesome? You can't earn it. You can't work for it. can't merit it. can't be good enough. We simply enter in to what Jesus Christ has already done. So the invitation goes out. But it says in verse 18, they begin to make excuses. They begin to make excuses. They had already committed to come. How would you feel? Ladies, if you prepared a great meal and a great feast, you invited all your friends and neighbors to come and the food was all ready, and you worked hard, and you toiled in the kitchen all day long, and you got all the food ready, you went grocery shopping, you set the table, you prepared everything, and it was ready, and no one showed up. That's telling you one of two things. Either they don't like you, or they don't like your cooking. Right? Either they don't like your company, or they don't like your food. And no one came. And and you can imagine the total rejection this host of this banquet feast felt on that day. And it says in verse 18, they all alike began to make excuses. Excuses. I had had a friend that used to say, he had a saying in college, he'd say, excuses are like belly buttons, everybody has one. We all make excuses. Why I wasn't there, why I didn't show up, why I wasn't on time, why I failed, why I blew the project, why I, why I missed this or that, why we all have our excuses that we make. Everybody has one. You say, I'd like to be different in my life, but I tried religion last year, I tried God last year, and it just didn't work out for me, and so I can't serve the Lord. I'd like to serve the Lord, but I'm just not good enough. I can't possibly be a Christian. I I can't possibly follow the Lord. And and so we make our excuses. Now, it's it's early in the year. We're in February. A couple of weeks, daylight savings time come. I'll be glad when that gets here and when the cold finally leaves and we get a little more light in the daytime. But there's a survey that was done about uh, uh, resolutions. Resolutions. By the end of January, everybody that made a resolution for January the 1st, New Year's Day, 40% had already broken their resolution. How, how many in here made a resolution beginning of January? I'm not going to ask you how many broke it. How many just said it's going to be a different year, I'm going to read the Bible through, I'm going to pray, I'm going to do this or that. How many made a resolution this year? Let me see your hand. Okay. By the end of January, 40% of you have quit keeping your resolution. How many made a resolution to lose weight? No, don't raise your hand. I think that's probably the most common one. I'm going to lose weight this year. I'm going to exercise this year. It's going to be a different year for me. And so we make resolutions. By February the 15th, this is a true statistic, that was last Sunday, 75% have broken their resolution. So we keep our resolutions at most for about six weeks. And so, so it begs the question, why do we fail? Why do we make resolutions, say I'm going to change I'm going to do this or that. I'm not going to do this or that. I'm going to change my lifestyle. I'm going to do something differently. And we make our resolutions only to fail. Here's the problem. We have good intentions rather than God intentions. 
Let me say that to you again. We have good intentions rather than God intentions. Let me tell you the difference. A good intention centers around me. It's what I am going to do different in my life. It's what I'm going to do to improve my life. A good intention is very me-centered. A God intention is God-centered, and it simply says, I'm going to do what God wants to do through me, and so I'm going to let God work through me and in me, and it's all about God. And so you have a good intention, which becomes me-centered, and a God intention, which is God-centered. It is God working in and through me. Now, here's the problem. This is why we fail. Good intentions rely on my own abilities, my own strength, and my own resolve. And so we concentrate. I promise this year is going to be different. I'm going to do this and this and this. And then we don't do it. Why? Because it's a good intention and we don't have the strength in ourselves to carry it out. But a God intention, I rely on God's power and God's might and I do what God wants me to do. And there's a huge difference, right? Good intentions or God intentions. Now, in this story, as you look at the three excuses in the parable, they all had good intentions. They all wanted to go to the feast. They all had a desire to go there. But other things came in. Other good things came in and crowded out the banquet. They had good intentions, not God intentions. Or to put it another way, their priorities got messed up. So let's take a look at their excuses. The first guy says, hey, I bought a field, and and I want to go check out my field. I want to go inspect my field. Now, Now keep in mind, just think behind this for just a moment. He buys a field so he can plant more crops, so he can have more to eat. But instead of going to a banquet table that the host already has spread for us, that has everything we will ever need at his banqueting table, he's figuring out a way where he can get more fields to plant more crops to have more to eat when the table's already been spread. I'll get more property. But God has his table already spread. The farmer would draw on his own energy rather than draw from God's bounty. I want to tell you, this is a lousy excuse. The field wasn't going anywhere. I got to go check on my field. Who's going to move the field? Who's going to steal the field? Why has he got to check on it then? His priorities are out of whack. I gotta go look at my field. He could have went to the banquet and looked at the field later. It's about putting God first and our possessions seconds. And he missed the great feast. Beware of the tyranny of your possessions. Beware, uh, he tells a pair about soils, and one of the soils, uh, the soil, this, the sea grows up very quickly, and the cares of this world choke it out. Beware of the tyranny of your possessions. Let me see if I can put a new spin on this that we might relate to today about the field. I just bought a new boat, and Sunday's my only day off, and I got to test it out in the lake. Don't shout me down here. And next week i got to test it out. And 
Next week, I got to tell you, I just bought a new set of golf clubs. I just got some great, great golf clubs, and it's Sunday, and I've got to go test them out. I've just bought my new camper, and we got to take the family, and we got to go test it out. And so we get this new stuff, and before we know it, our possessions come, uh, and they crowd out God. Here's another one you may relate to, and and and. I just got my new iPhone 5S, and all my relationships are now on Facebook and Twitter, and you know what? I'm on here morning, noon, and night, and I'm sorry, Lord, I just didn't have time to read my Bible today. I didn't have time to pray today, but you contacted everybody on your Facebook list. I just got my house, and now I got to fix up my house, and now I got to decorate my house, and I got to paint my house, and I'm sorry, I can't get involved in ministry. I can't get involved in groups because I've got this house, and what happens is these things in our life, these possessions in our life, it is gradual creep, and pretty soon it creeps in until it chokes out the life of God inside of us, and we make our excuses for why we can't serve the Lord, why I can't pray, why I can't worship, why I can't seek his face, why I can't spend time with him, why I can't worship with the body of Christ. We have all our excuses because of our stuff, our fields, our possessions. I know it's none of you guys because you're all here today and you're all loving Jesus. It's just a good reminder, but how many, how many have fallen by the wayside because possessions came in and choked out the word of God. Guard that place of the Lord in your life and in your home and in your finances and everything. Let Christ be preeminent. Let him be first. He says the kingdom of God is not about meat and drink. It's about love and joy and peace and the Holy Ghost. It's a spiritual kingdom, but it's got to be first in my life. Second guy said, you know what, I've got five yoke of oxen. Now, he seems very responsible. He's going to take care of his oxen. He's, the, the oxen are his future. It's his business. It's the field that he's going to expand. Uh, it's to uh, plant more corn, more grain, more crops. It's the oxen. He needs the oxen to plow the fields, to do the work for him, to, to lead the way. Five yoke of oxen. Quite a businessman you have here. But it really, he is guaranteeing his future. So I've got to go check out my oxen. Now, now, now listen. First of all, you want to a- answer the question, who buys oxen without first looking at the oxen? I mean, you should have checked them out ahead of time. Uh, but before I'm too hard on this second guy and his excuse, I, I kind of look at my own life a little bit. I, uh, last fall, uh, Emily was going back to college. And we had to find a car for her. Now, we knew about it all summer long, but for some reason we never got around to it. So the day before she's going to travel down first to see her brother and then on up to Minneapolis for college, I'm frantically trying to find her a vehicle. And it's Saturday afternoon, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I saw a vehicle on Craigslist. It was a Volkswagen Passat. And the name just sounded so cool. And so I said, this is going to work. It was about a 2004. It was kind of, I dropped about 
$3,400 on this Passat. And so it was under Kelly Blue Book value. I said, this will work. We can run it. And, and, and I ran over there, and uh, it was in the afternoon. I was going to check it out, drove it around the parking lot, kicked the tires a few times, walked around the car. It looks good to me. Uh, there's the, the, the German word Passat in the English language is translated lemon. I discovered that after I bought the car. And uh, I won't tell you what the initials stand for. But anyway, they the, the, uh, the, the have this, this car that I bought, $3,400. And so she goes down to see her brother, and, uh, and I'm all happy. You know, gave her the keys. You know, hey, you know, have a great time. And just about 100 miles outside of Lakeland, Florida, the smoke's pouring out of the engine. Just billowing out. And I just bought this dude. And here's the problem. I'm up here and she's down there. She's stranded. And, uh, and so they take it to a car place and they says, you know what? The oil bladder blew up, whatever an oil bladder is. It blew up in your car and oil's everywhere. We got to replace the oil bladder. And by the way, we lifted it on the lift and your tie rod ends are bad. Your tires are all bald on the inside. It's not a safe car to drive. Of course, Jeannie's right there. Safety's big with her. And so, uh, so I, I got to uh, get all that fixed. $2,000 later, uh, she's on her road again. But they gave her the word, good as new. Okay, I heard those words, good as new. And so I, I hung on to those. She got back, and Jeannie jumped in the car with her, and they were heading up to Wisconsin. And they just outside of Wisconsin, same thing. Smoke begins billowing out of the car. Dials going over in the hot range. This time, it's the radiator. And here's what they said. When the oil bladder blew up, it must have put oil in the radiator and circulated the oil through the radiator. And now your radiator is all clogged up, and you have got to get a new radiator in there. Well, I said, okay, how bad can that be? Well, these, one of the things about German engineering, don't buy that line about German engineering. It stinks. I get, the, get Japanese engineering any day or a good old American engineering. But German engineering means they pack as much in that little, little compartment as possible so you can't work on anything. So only the Germans can work on it. They got a patent. Germans only work on this car. And so, so it's there. And uh, $2,000 later, I've got now a new radiator. And so they're on their way again. I'm thinking, you know, I, I bought it for 34 I got down another four into it. By the time they got to Minneapolis, once again, bing, the dial's going over. They smoke once again pouring out of the engine. And uh, they pull it over right away. And, oh, blown head gasket. Who knows what's wrong this time? And they said, you know what? We think we caught it in time. It is the water pump. And uh, it's not related to the previous two things, but it's the water pump. And once again, we've got to tear the whole engine out to get to the water pump. And so that'll be about another two grand. And so I've spent now $6,500 on a car that cost me $3,400, all because I didn't take it to a mechanic to check it out. Okay. So that being said, I've got a cute little Passat out back, $10,000 Passat. I'll give you a great deal. See me right after the service. We'll, we'll cut you a deal right away. Now, now, checking out oxen is a business decision. It's a business decision. And so what this guy does is, is this is going to be my future. This is how I make money. This is how I earn my income. I want to tell you the reason you work is not to earn money. Let me say that again. I want you to get this. The reason you work is not to earn money. Just let you in on it. The reason you work is not to provide for your family. 
as good as those things may be. The reason you work is to glorify God. God has you at work where you're at for a reason, and that's to glorify God and be a witness for him. And so wherever you work, believer, listen to me, everything we do is kingdom-minded. Everything is about the kingdom of God. And so wherever God places me, puts me, uses me, is to be a witness for him, to be a testimony for him, a light for him, to lead my coworkers to the Lord Jesus Christ. Your second reason for being at work is to earn money. You got that? It's putting Christ first in everything I do. So he's before my possessions, he's before my job, he's before my livelihood, and so every day that I go to work, I understand I am taking Jesus Christ with me. Work is only the vehicle to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's the kingdom first. It's God first. Third guy, verse number 20. Now, he, he really has a good excuse. In fact, in Jewish law, after you got married, you didn't have to go to the military for a year. You had about a year off of work just to get to know your wife. That'd be kind of cool. And so, uh, maybe not. I don't know. But a year. Uh, it, no, I'm sure it would be. I'm sure, ladies. Uh, and, and, uh, and so I've, got, I've just married this lady, and I can't come to the banquet feast. Now, now just for you guys that don't know, Gary Tucker, he's the pastor at our our campus down on, on Remount Road, and I said, Gary, this is, he's getting married next Saturday at 1. I said, dude, this is perfect. You get married at 1, come to the Wild Game Banquet, you're a comedian, and he didn't go for it. I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand why. I'd have been there. Buffet line, come on, baby, new bride, let's go. Let's get something to eat. All the Wild Game you can eat. We can live on this for the next week, and uh, bam, I'm set. But Gary didn't hear any. I don't know what he's doing. He's taking off somewhere, so that's... Uh, I don't understand it. Proverbs 18.22 says this. Listen to me. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. And all the men said, a little weak, guys. Okay. Uh, Who finds a wife finds a good thing. That's awesome. That's the way God made it. That's the way God intended it. That, that's, that's really neat. But here's the, what I want you to get today. Listen, don't ever let the Good things crowd out the best thing. The best is always Jesus Christ. The best is always God. I'm telling you guys, you got to get this. Even in your marriage, as wonderful as that is, in your priorities, man, it's God first, my wife second, everybody else falls in line after that. Ladies, it's always God first, my husband's second, and everything else falls in line after that. It is always God first. He gave his life for me. He died on the cross for me. He spread the banqueting table. It is always about knowing and a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is our life. It is the kingdom of God. It's everything. He let the good things crowd out the best things. He could have brought his bride to the feast of grace. Listen, when you get ready to get married, guys, if you're single, ladies, if you're single, say, honey, I love you, but the Lord is first. The Lord is first. And together, together, we will serve the Lord. And if your spouse can't say that with you, don't marry that person. 
Sorry, I don't care how hot they are. Don't marry that person. Let's serve the Lord together. And then the neat thing about marriage is God gives us this great marriage manual right here, the Word of God. This is the greatest manual you'll ever read on marriage. It's God's Word. He has everything you need to make the marriage work. Statistics, and these are probably argued and can be debated, but, but roughly 50% of couples who marry end in divorce. It may not be quite that, depending on how the statistics are taken and read. And I, I read statistics, 70% of second marriages will end in divorce. So if you don't get it right the first time, the likelihood goes up the second time, you'll blow it again. But 1% of couples who pray together 1% of those marriages end in divorce. Listen, you want to keep your marriage forever? Pray together. Worship the Lord together. Seek God together. Attend church together. Read the Word together. Do it together. God can bless your marriage. Put the Lord first. The Lord first. You see, the sin is, there's no sin in owning land. There's no sin in buying oxen. There's no sin in getting married. But none of these guys are going to enter the banquet feast. Good things. They're still not going to get in. It says in the very last verse, anything that crowds God out is a bad thing, is wrong, is an idol. God has everything we need at his feast to enjoy his company and fellowship with the Lord. And so it goes on to say in this parable, the owner of the house is angry. He says, you don't have time for my grace. You don't want to know me. You don't want to come to my lavish feast I prepared for you. He says, okay, you're not going to come to my banquet. Now, now here's the shocking reality. Listen to me. Get this today. There are many, many millions of good people will not go to heaven. Millions, millions, good people, nice people, love their wives, respected in the community, wonderful, sweet personalities. They will not go to heaven. They may not do drugs. They may not be sexually immoral. They may not lie, cheat, and steal. They may come to church every single week of their life. They may have very strong family values and still be shut out of heaven. Why? Because of excuses, of misplaced priorities, uh, of God, you're really not everything. Uh, I'll work you somewhere in my life, but you're not my Lord and my all. And until you enter into that banquet table, until you say, God, I need you, save me, forgive me, come into my life, you will be shut out. You cannot save yourself. And so this angry host opens up the invitation. And in verse 21, he says, go everywhere. Get out to the highways and byways. Go to the blind and the lame and the poor and go find them and bring them into my house so my house will be full. Listen, in God's kingdom, race doesn't matter. Political views don't matter. Social standings don't matter. Appearance doesn't matter. The outcast of society 
Those acquainted with pain and suffering, he very specific in the, ter- in the parable says, go find the poor, the blind, and the lame, all the outcasts. I want you to bring them in so my house will be full. These words, poor, blind, and lame, describes also a level of spiritual poverty. Now listen, if we're picking people to come to this incredible banquet feast, keep in mind Jesus has been eaten in the house of Pharisees. All the rich uppity-ups are there. Everybody is there. They're jockeying for the best places around the table. And what does Christ say? He tells them the story because that is the backdrop. If we're picking people who are going to come to the table of the Lord, it's going to be those who have some money, those who look good, those who are somebody special, those who are, have a wonderful lifestyle, That's who we might pick. And at worst, if you're a bad dude, we want you to clean your act up before you come on in. And if you'll give up all this stuff, then we'll let you on in to God's table. Listen, I want to tell you something. It's a good thing we don't do the picking. It's God who chooses. It's God who picks. It's God who sets the table and invites them to come in. Listen, all we can do is enter into God's grace. You can't earn it. You can't merit it. You'll never, ever be good enough. He just simply says, come on in. I've already done it. I've already made the way. I've already given my life for you on Calvary. I've already done all that needs to be done. All we can do is realize that we are spiritually bankrupt. We are poor spiritually. We are blind spiritually. And I need a Savior. I cannot save myself. I didn't read it to you, but in verse 11 in chapter 15, he says, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled. And all who humble themselves, all who humble themselves will be exalted. Grace does not depend on what we have done for God, but on what he has done for us. Grace is not about what we have done for God. It's about what God has done for us. If you were to go to any shopping mall in America, if you would go on the streets and take a survey, if you asked somebody, most people would say, what do you have to do to get to heaven? And you asked them that question, most would say, be good. Be good. There's, there's a mindset that we have that if we are good, we're going to heaven. But Jesus says the way to come into my feast is simply cry out for help. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I can't do it. I can't save myself. I need your mercy. I need your grace. Verse 22, he says, go back out. There is still room. Now, I've got good news today. There's still room. There's still room. That's why I'm preaching this message this morning. There's still room. That's the good news. And then he says in the very next verse, he says, compel them to come in so that my house may be full. I'm going to tell you a little secret. God likes full houses. That's why we keep sending missionaries out. Because there's still room. And God likes his house full. That's why we're sending books out all over the low country. Why? Because there's still room. And God likes a full house. That's why we're planting a church in Goose Creek in the fall of this year. Why? Because there's still room. And God likes full houses. That's why we keep taking the gospel everywhere. That's why we have a wild game banquet. Not just so I can come and eat, 
so you can invite your guests and friends uh, who don't know Jesus Christ uh, and they come in for a comedy show and then bam, he hits them with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and they get saved. I want to tell you, that's why we do everything we do. Why? Because there's still room uh, and God likes full houses. And that's why I'm going to give an altar call this morning. Because there's still room. And God likes full houses. We're going to invite our musicians to come, prepare themselves. Today, here's my challenge. Listen to me. Drop all your excuses. Drop all your excuses. And come on in to the wedding feast of God's grace. Become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. If you can't sit there this morning and say without a shadow of a doubt, God is number one in my life. He is my Lord. He is my all. He is my everything. This morning, it's time to drop all your excuses and come into God's grace. Some of the excuses you might be prone to make, well, I'm not good enough. I'm going to tell you something you'll never be. Never be. It'll never happen. I'm not good enough. Or, or Pastor, if I respond today, won't that just be a, an emotional response? No, it's not an emotional response. It's a spiritual response. It's Christ breathing on your spirit and your spirit being made alive again in Christ Jesus. And then you may say, well, Pastor, what if I invite Christ into my heart and I fail and I blow it? I want to tell you, you will. You will fail. You will blow it. But it's about grace. It's about mercy. It's about forgiveness. It's about His love for you that is unchanging. So drop all the excuses and come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, He bled for you. He took crowns on His a thorn of heads uh, on His crown of thorns on his head for you. Uh, he was beaten on his back for you. He was wounded for our transgressions, uh, bruised for my iniquities. Uh, he gave his life and took my place on Calvary. He refused to make excuses. So how can I make any excuse for not serving him, for not following him? I want to invite you this morning. Come to the feast. Come to the feast of God's great grace. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, you are so good. Lord, we love you so much. I thank you for everybody here today. I thank you that you love them so much. You gave your life for them, for me, for us. Thank you, God. I thank you today. There's still room at your great table. So we come to you today. We come to you in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.